word, which today comes from Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him, till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desiredest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And this and his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. All right, thanks. It's really a blessing. Please, and turn to Matthew chapter 18. We've been doing a series on the parables of Jesus Christ. And today we're in Matthew chapter 18 on this parable, often called the parable of the unforgiving or unmerciful servant. Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 21. And let's just read verse 35 as we begin this morning, and then we'll pray. Matthew chapter 18, verse 35. And read it with me aloud this morning. Matthew 18, 35. Here we go. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Let's pray. So Lord God... We're often overwhelmed by the waves and billows of this never-resting sea of life. And Lord, we need forgiveness from you. And we need to forgive others. And we need to often be forgiven by others. And Lord, we feel the oppression of the enemy in these areas at times. So we come to you. We come to you and rest, Lord, because that's what you said we can find when we come to you. We come to you, Lord, for answers. We come to you claiming your fullness. We come to you claiming your love and your authority. 
as you're our head. So now speak to us and thank you for this amazing parable that you've given to us. Give us understanding, Lord, because without your spirit, we cannot properly, rightly divide your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, this matter of forgiveness surely is something all of us can relate to in life. I'm calling this message, Forgiveness, Our Modus Operandi. And you know what modus operandi is. It's our mode of operation. It's our default reaction to a situation. We need to be a forgiving people is the teaching of the Bible because we've been so forgiven. And you, many of you realize that. Someone has said of all the actions we can do, forgiveness is the most divine. You've heard this expression, to err is human, to forgive is divine. We live in a sinful world. We all need to be forgiven by God. And we also live in a sinful world where we will be sinned against. And we need to grant forgiveness to others. What is forgiveness? Here's how I'll simply define it. Forgiveness is an active decision to liberate. It's to release someone. It's to set them free. To set free another person from something hurtful that they have done. So as not to hold it against them. Not to remember it before them. Not to bring it up to them continually. Forgiveness is agreeing to live with the consequences of what was done to you. Believing that who is good in this, who is good in this universe? God is good. And He works all things together for good. Even the most terrible things that can happen. Even the most terrible things that can happen. He can work them out for your ultimate good if you and I, what? Love God and as we are the called according to His purpose. And Paul says we know that. We can't just think it. So forgiveness is an active decision. Forgiveness is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's an active decision. Forgiveness is not weakness. It's courageousness. Forgiveness is courage. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness isn't that you're going to just somehow remove that from your mind, but forgiveness is not bringing it up to use it as a weapon against someone else. Forgiveness seems so right when you need mercy from someone else or from God. When you need forgiveness, when I need forgiveness, either from God or from you, it seems right. If I do something dumb, bad, or sinful, and I need forgiveness, it seems right for you to forgive me. But when someone sins against me, then sometimes it doesn't seem as right at certain times. It actually might seem wrong when we want justice for the one who is offended. Right? And what did Jesus say, though? We all know the Lord's Prayer. But I find it amazing that after He gives the Lord's Prayer, He goes back to one of those elements of the prayer, only one, 
to reinforce it, to clarify the principle and its importance, and also to, to state the human dilemma we have, and a dilemma that's often great, and it's the matter of forgiveness. So right after the Lord gives, gives us the Lord's Prayer, and in that prayer we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us. Yeah, ho-hum. So it's easy to pray. <laughs> But not so easy to do because then Jesus clarified that one point in that prayer. And he says, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will forgive you. And he went on to say, if you forgive not men of their trespasses, neither will your heavenly father forgive you of your trespasses. That's, that's something very serious. So when we come to this parable, Peter, of course, asked the Lord, Peter, oh, Lord, how many times should... Should I forgive my brother if they sin against me? And Peter, thinking he's so generous, he said, I'm going to go way beyond what the Jewish rabbis, the Jewish rabbis said, if he forgives three times, forgive him, but not the fourth. Peter almost doubles that. He said, what if they sin seven times? And I forgive him seven times. And Peter's like thinking, I'm so good. I'm so merciful and kind, you know. And Jesus just kind of shoots down Peter. He says, not seven And he adds a zero to the seven. He said 70 times seven. And that doesn't cap it at 490 times either. It's not like, oh, so if they sin 491 times, I don't have to forgive them. I don't believe that's the point. Seven, again, being that number of completion and perfection. And so really Jesus is saying that the times we are to forgive is without limit. Because that's how we are forgiven. So forgiveness ought to be our way of life. It ought to be our modus operandi. It ought to be our default mode. Montgomery Boyce, in his book on parables, said there is an unbreakable connection between God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of other people. An unbreakable connection. That's a a good statement based on what Jesus said. In other words, if you don't forgive others, what's broken? What connection is broken? God's forgiveness of us, of you. So forgiveness is a great test of our salvation. So let us live and make forgiveness the modus operandi of our lives. Forgiveness, the modus operandi our way of life, our default mode. And so let's look at three principles, timeless principles of this matter of forgiveness. Number one, and this this parable breaks down really into three acts or three parts. The first act is the servant who comes to the wealthy king with great debt. And the first act of this parable teaches us that genuine forgiveness recognizes no boundaries. As we read, and we've read the text in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like this certain king, which would take account of his servants. He began to reckon there was brought unto him a man who owed 10,000 talents. He had had not to pay. He had nothing of that 10,000. He couldn't even pay back one talent, much less 10,000 talents. And so he didn't have it, but he begged, and then the Lord 
uh, of the king forgave him. So the, the point of this is that genuine forgiveness recognizes no boundaries. So what's the point of this story is that this this servant that comes to the king, who is that in the story? Who, who is that in this story? That's you and me. <laughs> That's us. That's us before God. What do we owe God because of our sin? An astronomical, and that's the word I'll use, an astronomical debt. A debt that's really incalculable. It's astronomical in human terms. It's a huge debt. And that's what we have been forgiven by God. A forgiveness that is without hesitation. Is There's no boundaries to God's forgiveness. It's an act of pure grace. And of course we know how we're forgiven is that Jesus Christ came to, to earth and lived a perfectly sinless life and yet took our sins in His body and He was brutalized and He was, he was totally abused and, and unjustly treated beyond any imagination. Yet He did it for our sins. He took the debt of our sin, the astronomical debt of the sin of the world to cancel all of our sins. So what's this guy's problem? Look, look at it in human terms. He owed 10,000 talents. Now, we don't talk in terms of talents. He didn't have 10,000. You know, it's not ta- we think of talent. It's like, a, like it's people's ability. But what's a talent in, in Bible days? Okay, a talent was the largest unit of measure that the Jewish people used to calculate something. And, and 10,000 was their largest common number. So kind of look at it this way. Our largest common number, now that we hear thrown about, is trillion. We don't really hear a number beyond a trillions. Okay, so, so the 10,000 would be kind of like a trillion. And the, so it was taught... So Jesus is using this number as the largest number that could be conceived by his listeners. It was the largest number that they could even think of, 10,000. So, one talent was 6,000 pence. Now again, a pence was a common day's wage. So, one talent was 6,000 pence, a day's wage. So that so one talent would take 16 years of wages. One talent. But he didn't owe one talent. How many talents did he owe? 10,000. So if you were to multiply, as I did, 6,000 times 10,000, that's 60 million pence, which would take the common man in Jesus' day 164,000 years to earn, and that's if he saved everything that he earned. (laughs) Okay, so 10,000 talents was 164,000 years of work. Imagine being in that much debt. I don't know what he did to get in that much debt. <laughs> he, he was not very faithful. But that's, a, that's a, actually a large number. Josephus, I thought this was interesting, he said that Judea, Idumea, and Samaria paid a total of 600 talents annually to the king. So not even a thousand talents. So ten thousand talents is like beyond the the tax revenue 
of the king of three major districts in Israel in his time. So he owed a lot. Now, what was the consequences of his debt? What initially did the king tell the servant? Because of your debt, you are going to be sold into slavery. And that tells us what debt is. Debt is the modern day slavery. You think about debt. You think about like 10,000 talents. Think of the debt of the United States. We're talking, it I, I goes up another trillion, it seems like. They talk about trillions like in the form of pennies, like trillions are pennies. But I think we're up to like $33 trillion worth of debt. And it's, isn't it kind of weird how we can have so much debt and yet we just throw billions of dollars out to everybody? Anyway, I don't want to go there. I just, I just thought I'd throw that out there. I just love that. I just find that amazing how we can, it's like... If we're $33 trillion in debt, I mean, if you had that much debt, would you be giving money out in yourself? I would be like begging money from you myself. But anyway, okay. The consequence of debt, though, is enslavement. And the whole family, when a husband or a father is in debt, it pretty much enslaves the, the, the wife and children as well. And that's part of this parable. So what does he do? He begs for mercy. When faced with justice, he begs for mercy. (laughs) And that's the only thing we can do before God. Because if we get justice, we get hell. And so we beg God for mercy. Forgive me through Jesus Christ. I believe, Jesus, you died on the cross for my sin. And you bore my whole sin debt. The price of my sins was fully paid by you there on the cross, Lord Jesus Christ. I come to you, and the only way I can have forgiveness is through your work on the cross and by the power of your resurrection. Jesus, have mercy. And it says, verse 27, the king was moved with compassion. And you know what that word is? That's a Jesus word. That word is often used of our Lord Jesus Christ, how he was moved with compassion. And the transliteration of that, I think it's about 14 letters, and it it looks like spaghetti. It begins with an N, and it ends with an I, you know, but it's not spaghetti. It's splanknizomai. I love that. That's one of my favorite Greek words there, splanknizomai. That's moved with compassion. it's the moral equivalent, the spiritual equivalent of a, of, a, of a physical cardiac arrest. I mean, he was so moved that he forgave him the debt. So that's you and me forgiven through Jesus Christ. I think of what the psalmist said, Lord, if you should mark iniquities, who shall stand? Not one of us can stand before God if he were to hold us accountable for all of our sins. But there is forgiveness with thee. Do you know this forgiveness through the Lord Jesus Christ? And are you living it out? So the essential and foundational key to this parable, I believe, is that if we're going to live right in our relationship with God, we must be forgiven and we must believe in the in the forgiveness He provides through His Son, Jesus Christ. And then we must also live that forgiveness. 
The forgiveness we have received from the Lord ought to change us. It ought to change us, and this change should be evident in our relationships with one another in church, in our families, at work, because foundationally, it's very important to be a forgiving person. Do you agree with that? It is very, very important if we're going to have relationships with other people that we that we're forgiving. Now, how can we learn that forgiveness? How can we work it out? I'm saying that foundationally and first, we must be forgiven. And we'll look at other scriptures, but that's, that's the key. We must be forgiven. Now, when I talk about forgiveness, though, some people will argue and say, and, and I understand this, they'll say, but you don't know what other people have done to me. That's true, I don't. I don't know what other people have done to you. They have done things to me that are far worse than what anyone has ever done to me. And so, I can't forgive them. Because what they have done to me is even worse than any sin I've committed against God. But I believe this. I believe that our sin against God is this astronomical debt. And whatever you can do to me in comparison is insignificant in comparison. But how do we, how do we work through that, though, when what people have done to you is far worse than in maybe in a single act than anything you yourself have done against God? I mean, just think of this terrible, horrible things we're seeing in the news now. You know, how, what if you were living in Israel last week and somebody broke into your home and, and killed your, your husband or your wife and your children in cold blood right in front of you and then you had to live with that. And now you're, now you're, if you were to come to this church today and hear a message about forgiveness, you say, you're what? What are you, nuts? You expect me to forgive those people? You expect me to think that what they did is worse than all my sins against God? See, see, that's what I'm talking about. So how do we work through that? I would work through it this way. I would say that the greatness of my sin against God is not in the individual acts, although my, my sins against God are, are great, but it's the greatness of my sin against God is really grounded in the person I'm sinning against. Because even one sin against God, what would God require for me to be forgiven of that sin? Even one sin. God would require His Son, Jesus Christ, to go through everything He went through to even forgive one sin. So the greatness of my sin isn't in the acts, although the acts are acts of sin are great against God, and there's a multitude of them too, and it's not just like one sin either that we've sinned against God. There's like a whole lifetime of, of sins, of accumulation cumul- of sins, right? But still, the greatness of our sins against God is because we have sinned against the infinite goodness, the infinite grace, the infinite glory of an almighty God who is all love. Our sin is astronomical against God. And you have to see yourself as a sinner like that. 
in order to properly be forgiven and then live out forgiveness. 10,000 talents, like I said, that is an astronomical number in Jesus' day. And so I believe if we get a hold of that, it would change us in, in our relationship to God, give us a greater love for God, appreciation for His goodness and grace that we've been forgiven of such a great debt. And then it would also help us in our relationships with men to realize that because I've been forgiven of such great a debt, I can forgive others. So now I want to ask this though. And I don't know if it actually fits here. I was going to put it at the end of the message, but I said, no, I don't want to put it at the end because you might be asleep by then. So let me put it in now. What about abuse victims? Because many people in our society have experienced abuse. So this is, if you've been abused, this is for you, but it's also for you to counsel others who've been abused. Because sometimes when abuse victims hear forgiveness, they feel like all the weight of responsibility is upon them to forgive. And what about the one who has abused them? So what about forgiving someone who has abused you? Should you forgive them? Yes. And you must. But, but, don't, don't, don't lose me yet. That does not mean you have to reconcile with them. That does not mean you have to get back into a relationship with them. Now notice what Jesus said here. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And what is then what I highlighted in yellow? What? If he repent, forgive him. In other words, forgive so that there can be a reconciliation of that relationship. If there's no repentance of the one who has abused... There can be no reconciliation of that relationship. He says, if he repent, forgive him. If he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day, turn again to thee, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. So again, here the person who's sinning must offer a repentance. And you, you would, and you would, and I would wonder if somebody did the same sin in one day seven times, you'd be thinking, you're not really sorry. I'm not going to forgive you the seventh time. Jesus said so. So what about forgiving an abuser? This is really difficult. Because often the survivors of abuse are deemed to be the problem in the relationship when there's not a real change in repentance of the one who has done the abuse. And when the survivor of the abuse is deemed to be the problem, then that's like more abuse on that person. And I heard this, uh, this phrase, shame shifting. And often the shame of the abuse is shifted to the one who has been abused in abuse situations. And... And because our faith is so connected to forgiveness, many times, even in counsel, if you go to a Christian counselor, it's, it's, it could be the tendency of the counselor to run to forgiveness. Like, you got to forgive the one who abused you. 
But that doesn't mean, yeah, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment, but that does not mean that you have to go back and put yourself into abusive relationship. You do not have to put yourself back into an abusive relationship, and you ought not do that. And you can still forgive that person. But shame-shifting is very common in Christianity. And so be aware of that. It's a tactic used by toxic people who choose to take the shame only a perpetrator of abuse should feel and shift it back to the victim. Many times the victim is re-victimized if they don't forgive as quickly as the abuser wants you to forgive. And if, you're, if you've been the victim of abuse and you are being made to feel guilty that you're not forgiving, then that's really another form of abuse. Debbie and I watched this show. I wasn't even going to say this, but I'll say it. It's on, it's on, it's on Hallmark Channel. And, and I, just to cut right to the chase, there's a, really, there's a guy who was really bad at the beginning of the show, like season one or whatever, and he just like trampled over everybody. And he made a decision that led to an explosion in a mine and, and people died and fathers died. And now it's years later and he's been humbled and now he's a broken man, this guy. His name is Henry. He's my favorite guy in the show. I like, like this guy, Henry. And uh, he's, he's real broken, though. And now one of the girls whose father had been killed in the mine comes back into the show years later. And she's upset at him. She's angry at him because it was because of him that her father died. You, you understand? And so, so she's angry at him. And he's kind of, he sees her anger. And he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to deal with her. But then finally she comes to him. Now listen, watch this. She comes to Henry, and she said, Henry, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. I've not forgiven you. And you know what Henry said? Henry said, you never have to apologize to me. You didn't do anything to me. You see how she felt shamed because she didn't forgive him. He said, no, you don't have to feel that shame. I'm the one who acted so that your father died, and so, you know, I, I thought that was, that was pretty, pretty well said in that silly show. <laughs> if you've been a, 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 a victim of abuse, you know, just think of Joseph. He was abused by his brothers. And look at the elaborate plan he worked out to see if his brothers had truly changed and repented. Joseph wasn't going to commit himself back to his brothers into a relationship with his brothers until he was sure that they had changed. And so in the meantime, I believe Joseph had the the spirit of Jesus Christ on the cross. Think of Jesus on the cross. And you know what he said. One, One of his statements on the cross was what? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So there's Jesus stating blanket forgiveness to people who put him on the cross. But that doesn't mean that they're all instantly saved and have a relationship with him. That simply means Jesus is ready to receive them if they repent. Jesus has a forgiving state of mind towards these hateful and horrible people who are doing these terrible acts toward him. 
So it's up to us as Christians, because we have been forgiven, to have a forgiving state of mind towards everyone, even those who have abused you, and then see and wait over time if there's true repentance, if you can commit yourself to a relationship with them again. Okay. If you have questions about that, I'd be more than happy to pray with you afterwards, but I'll move on. The second main principle of forgiveness in this story, not just the principle that that genuine forgiveness recognizes no boundaries, but number two, genuine forgiveness refuses cruel revenge. So having received this immense compassion, what does a servant go out and do? Now this throws us for a loop. It throws me for a loop. And Jesus' teaching here actually perplexes me to this very second right now. And surprise, Jesus is always surprising. But this is one of his most surprising teachings to me in the New Testament, really. Because having received this immense compassion, the servant acts out in cold-hearted cruelty. With cold-hearted cruelty. He acts completely in an opposite way to how someone who had been forgiven of that huge debt should behave. He shouldn't have acted that way. You agree with me? Actually, we don't expect him to act that way. After he was forgiven of that debt, you know what I expect Jesus to teach? That he went out and he forgave everybody. He was the most forgiving dude in the whole kingdom, you know. That's what I would expect Jesus to teach that this man would react to the great forgiveness he has received. But that's not how Jesus teaches it. This man goes out and he's unchanged by the grace that he has been showed. He doesn't carry his forgiveness into his other relationships. And as a matter of fact, the first thing he does, and this is a good picture by Domenico Fetti, beautiful painting, he goes out and notice the first thing he does And it it does seem that he goes and he looks for a a man and he searches him out because look what it says in our text. In verse number 25, that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants. So he's an equal to him. He's a fellow servant. And he found him, so he searched him out. And the first thing he said to him before even saying anything, I'm sure the first thing he does to him before saying anything is what? He grabs him by the throat. It's the first, hey, how you doing? Boom! Right on the throat. <laughs> now in, in soccer, that would be a red card right away, you know. <clears throat> That's the first thing he does. It's like, what cruelty after receiving such mercy? That, does that not surprise you? This is Jesus teaching this. So this is an amazing thing. To me, it would Jesus would have had such a neat, tidy story if he said how this forgiven man would became the most forgiving man in the kingdom. But that's not how he teaches it, and I it it really is baffling to me how Jesus is teaching it. And and I know there's so there's like immense wisdom always in the teachings of Jesus. But perhaps it's this. Perhaps Jesus Jesus teaches this parable this way because a lot of professing Christians who have received such mercy from God 
Don't let it change their lives. And actually act and live day to day as if they've not been forgiven at all. And there's a cruel revenge. So cruel revenge. We must refuse cruel revenge. Genuine forgiveness must refuse revenge. Now notice, he grabs him by the neck and and then he says to me, pay me what you owe. And what did he owe? What did he owe? He owed a hundred pence. Remember how many pence this other guy owed? We said 60 million. 60 million to a hundred. That's one to 600,000. Okay, now let me put it this way. You got a pie? You got an apple pie? Cut me. This is how much this guy owed him. One six hundred thousandth. Cut the apple pie into 600,000 slices. <laughs> if you can, no, you can't, but actually you could if you had a good knife. Okay? That's how much. Are you going to grab somebody by the throat and say, I want to, I get one 600,000 piece of that apple pie. I want my slice of apple pie. <laughs> After he was forgiven that huge amount, he's going to grab somebody by the throat that owes him a hundred days of work, which is actually a significant amount of work. When you, I mean, it was, it was something to the debt. A hundred pence would be a hundred days of work. But it's payable. He could actually have paid that debt back. Whereas the first guy, I mean, the one who was demanding it, he owed a hundred, he owed 10,000 talents. He never could have paid that back. It was an incalculable, unpayable type of debt. So anyway, hmm. so look at this guy. What, what does he do? To this one who owed him a small fraction of what he himself was forgiven, look what he does. It says in verse 30, look at verse 30, and it says, he would not. He would not. That is, he hardened his will And so he cast that man into prison. He would not. The word would speaks of his will in an ongoing action of willfulness and refusal to forgive. And so, beloved, the lesson of this parable, and I don't have this on the screen, so if you're keeping notes and you want the blank for letter C, The lesson of this parable is that the forgiven sinner so moved by the grace shown to him ought to gratefully desire to unconditionally forgive, unconditionally forgive those who demonstrate a true repentance. Because this man who owed the hundred pence, he showed the same spirit of repentance that the the first man showed. Actually, he he mirrors his actions. If you compare these two passages... In verse number 29, it says, The fellow servant fell down at his feet. He besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. That's exactly what the servant did in the first place to the king. In verse 26, compare that to 26. The servant, therefore, fell down, worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. It was almost like a mere statement. And whereas he was forgiven, this guy hardened his heart. And so I wonder why. 
Because we have a great capacity to be unforgiving. We have an amazing capacity to remember hurt in our human nature. We have an amazing ability to justify our unwillingness to forgive. I can remember family members, and I could still hear the sound of my family members that love me, and I love them, but I could still hear the sound of their voice when they say, I'll never forgive that person. That's not a Christian talking. To say, I'll never forgive. Or, we rationalize our unwillingness to forgive, our hard-heartedness to hold on to hurt, by saying, well, I would be a hypocrite if I forgive that person because I don't feel forgiving. Or, they're not really sorry for what they did. Or, they'll do it again. And we rationalize and we give all these arguments. But ultimately, do not harden your heart to unforgiveness if you've been forgiven by Jesus of that 10,000 talent debt. We do have an amazing capacity to remember hurt, to nurse and rehearse the hurt. I read that there's actually a company in the revenge business, if any of you are in, want to get back at an old flame, you know, you've broken up with somebody, you could buy cow chips or dead roses to send to your ex, you know, if you, if you feel in the revenge mood. No, I'm just kidding. That's a joke, okay? I'm not counseling, <laughs> sending anybody cow chips, you know? <laughs> But isn't that something? Revenge is a business. The third thing is this. We must remember Christ's compassion. Genuine forgiveness remembers Christ's compassion. So genuine forgiveness recognizes no boundaries. That's the 10,000 talent debt. An astronomical amount. Refuses cruel revenge. And then number three, remembers Christ's compassion. So this is the third act. The third act is in, from verse 31 to 35 when the fellow servants of this one servant, so again, they're equals. The term fellow servant appears four times in this parable. In verse 31, then it says, his fellow servants, in other words, they were equals to, this, to these other two that just battled out and one servant who owned the other and the one servant put the, his, his uh, other uh, fellow servant into jail. The other servants found out about that and they felt grieved about what had happened. So they went and they, t- they told on him. <laughs> they ratted him out. And then the Lord said to him, look at verse 32. Look what he now says to the wicked servant. He says, you're a wicked servant. But wait, remember, that's the one he forgave. You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you desired me. Now, here it is, verse 33. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity upon you? You see, the servant forgot the mercy shown to him. So he said, should you not have had compassion? That's mercy on your fellow servant. Even as I had pity, that's mercy. Actually, in our King James Bible, in verse 33, the word compassion and pity is the same word, and it's often translated mercy. 
he should have had mercy because he had received mercy. So now we have to be careful with these parables because, you know, some people, you know what they do with these parables is they, they, they base their main theology, they, they, they form their main theology just from a single parable. That's what we have to be careful because if you do that with this parable, you could come up with some bad doctrine. For example, you could come up with this guy. He had been forgiven and saved, and now it's like the rug is pulled out from this guy. He's not... The forgiveness is taken away and he's thrown to the tormentors. <laughs> so he was saved and now he's lost. Okay, I don't believe this is parables teaching you can lose your salvation. Because I don't believe that. I believe once we are truly born again by the Holy Spirit, we are saved. We have eternal life and eternal life, to be eternal life cannot be temporary. It can't be taken away. Neither does this parable teach that we're saved by grace when we're forgiven by the Lord, but then when we, we have to work out our salvation through our own human works and be a nice, forgiving person. <laughs> That's not what this parable is teaching either. Neither is this parable. You know, a liberal person would just come to this parable and say, oh, it's just saying we all need to be real nice and forgiving and just work to be a forgiving person and then God will forgive you. you know? No, that's not parables in teaching that either. What is, this par- what is Jesus teaching? He said, should you not? In other words, Jesus is teaching us that unforgiveness is completely out of character for a forgiven person. That when we are saved, what happens to us? We receive the Holy Spirit and He indwells us. And the Holy Spirit indwelling us teaches us the greatness of God's love and grace through Jesus Christ who died for us and was buried and rose again and how much He loves us and and that we're saved because we've been forgiven. And so forgiveness is our modus operandi. It is our default position in life. We have a spirit of forgiveness toward everyone. It doesn't mean you're going to be everybody's best bud. But it means we, we love and we forgive because we've been forgiven. We ought to inevitably express a life of forgiveness because God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. So read some of these verses. It says, Ephesians 4.32, And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Why? Where's that coming from? Is that coming because you're such a good person? No, what? Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. That insurmountable debt. Colossians 3.12, similar. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy, set apart, and beloved. That means you are loved by God. Put on bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, and read the rest of me, with me in the yellow. It says, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. Why? If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Forbearing one another. You know what that means? Put up with each other. <laughs> when somebody really gets on your nerves, forbear. And what did Jesus say? 
when you stand praying, forgive. Now notice, this gets back to what Montgomery Boyce said. The unbreakable bond is having forgiveness in your heart. Jesus said, if we do not forgive here, when you stand praying, forgive. If you have ought against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. And so I do see an unbreakable bond between having salvation in Christ and then having received that great forgiveness and then living that forgiveness out. That's the only way to live a Christian life in a way that's consistent with the life that has been given to us. Amen? Is that... And there are other verses that, that, the, that Jesus teaches the same thing. So in other words, what Jesus is telling us in this parable is that this is a serious warning to believers not to forget the infinite debt the Lord has paid to forgive us. And remember this, it costs to forgive. There's always a cost for forgiveness. It costs God to forgive you. And in this story, it costs the Lord 10,000 talents to forgive the servant. He had to eat that. He had to eat that loss. So it cost him. But it cost God his son to die on the cross it cost Jesus his life and his blood was shed for us it cost and so and then it cost us to forgive and this man in the story wasn't willing to eat the 100 pence cost grabbed the guy's neck so if we understand the cost that was paid to forgive us we'll be willing to live with the consequences of the cost forgiving others because it's small in comparison. So as I close, just two final points. I want to just encourage you to face the cross in order to forgive. Face the cross. What do I mean by that? Realize the price Jesus paid to forgive you. And I've already mentioned that. So face the cross. So tell your feelings. If you don't feel like forgiving somebody... Just tell your feelings to shut up and then as a, on an act of your will because ultimately it was He would not forgive. As an act of your will saying, I will forgive you. Don't worry about your feelings. Let them follow later if your feelings aren't all on board. But let your will make the decision and deciding be the deciding factor. To have a forgiving state of mind saying, I will forgive because that's my modus operandi. That's the essence of my faith. I've been forgiven, so I'm going to face the cross. I've been forgiven, and I will forgive others. Because if you don't forgive... You know what I found was interesting? In this parable, the first time, because of his insurmountable debt and he didn't have enough to pay, what was, it, what was the price of the debt? He was going to be enslaved. But now that he's been unforgiving, there's a different penalty. He didn't enslave him. He threw him into prison. And there he was tormented. Now that word torment is, is used in a number of ways in the New Testament. But it's, it's, the root of that is used for those in hell. So 
but but I thought, you know, because I think this parable can be applied by lost people. Maybe you can apply it this way. Some people have made a false profession of faith. They know about Jesus in their head, but then they go out and they live as if, because they don't truly know Jesus in their heart, and they don't forgive others from their heart because they just maybe have a head knowledge. Another way to apply this is even a, a Christian. It's, it's not like we don't struggle with forgiveness at times, right? You ever struggle with forgiving somebody? Okay, so what's the result of where this man, he was thrown to what? He was thrown to the tormentors. So what's the, what's the application there? An application could be that if you're an unforgiving person and living with bitterness, the bitterness of unforgiveness, it's kind of a, it's a form of torment. And bitterness always does more damage to the container where it's stored than upon the one who it's poured. So bitterness will always hurt you first. So face the cross. And the, the, the last thing here is focus on Christ. And when I say focus on Christ, focus on who you are in Christ. Focus on you're loved in Jesus Christ. You're loved. Other people might not love you, but Jesus loves you. So focus on His love for you. Focus on your riches in Christ. Maybe somebody stole money from you and leaves you in, in dry and in the dust and financially destitute. Focus on Christ and say, you know what, even though materially I'm financially struggling, in Jesus I'm rich. Focus on Christ. You're, you have authority in Christ. You're seated with Him in the heavenly places. You have access to the throne of grace. And you can live there in prayer before God. So focus on Jesus. Put your attention on Jesus because what holds your attention holds you. So don't put your attention on the people that have hurt you. Put your attention on Jesus. Focus on Jesus Christ and His love. And from your heart, forgive, as Jesus said in verse 33. Let's say that together as we close. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for the forgiveness we have of you. We thank you for the riches of your kindness and your long-suffering. And we confess, Lord, that we have often not extended that same kindness and forbearance. While we have received it from you, we have not extended it to others. We confess, Lord, that we often harbor bitterness and resentment. Even husbands, as it says in your word, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. So, Lord, today, I pray that if there's anyone who's in, my, who's in our midst today, and if God is bringing someone to your heart right now, that maybe you are harboring some bitterness or unforgiveness toward them, just say, Lord, I forgive. And say their name in your heart. Or whisper it. Don't say, Lord, help me to forgive them. Because His help is available. His grace is there for you. His grace is sufficient. That's a fact. Take His grace. 
And for those who have been abused, ask for the Spirit of Jesus who was so horribly abused by those who crucified Him. But He still had that Spirit of forgiveness. You don't have to go back and live in an abusive situation. I would counsel you not to do it. If, there, if you put yourself back in that relationship and there will still be abuse, don't do it. But still release them and say, Lord, I'm not going to take revenge against them. I'm not going to carry around anger in my heart toward them. I'm not going to curse them toward others. And I will even thank God for the lessons that I can learn through the pain of life. And I know that God is able to work it out for good. And just love Jesus because He loves you, dear friends. Love Jesus Christ with all your heart, mind, and strength. So now, Lord, we look unto you. We thank you for your precious blood that does cleanse us. Give us forgiving hearts. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Is there anyone here who just say, you know, Pastor Matt, thank you for this message today. I struggle with forgiveness at times. By the grace of God, I want to live out forgiveness as my modus operandi. And that's your heart today. Can I just see your hand? Just put it up as a statement of your faith to the Lord. You want to live out that forgiveness. Say, Lord, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for your blood that cleanses me. And help me to live out forgiveness of others. You can put your hands down. Is there anyone who'd say, Pastor Matt, I'm not saved and I need Jesus to save me today. I need Jesus Christ to take my sin away so that I can be sure of going to heaven when I die. I need the saving grace of Jesus and the forgiveness of Jesus in my life. Is there anyone like that? Could I see your hand? Is there anyone at all? So now, Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing, Jesus paid it all as we close.